Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. You ever, you ever read a book or maybe I should just stop there. Have you ever read a book? No, that's not my point. Um, you, you ever read a book or listen to some music or seen a movie and, and you do and you go, oh, you know who needs to hear this? You see a movie and you're like, oh, I know who would love this. You go to a restaurant, you have a really good experience and the thought comes to your mind, my buddy would love coming to this restaurant. Have you ever had that experience? And so the next time you see them, you say to them, hey, have you read, have you seen, have you listened to, have you had the burger at? Because you had a good experience, so you want them to have a good experience. That's what this message is all about today. We're in a process of going through the book of Acts, and we're going to wrap up here in the next couple of weeks this part of our, of our journey, what we've been calling the next big thing. In a few weeks, we're going to start a series on what the scripture says to us about the role of the church. But as we've been talking about this idea of the next big thing, we've noticed a couple of things. We've noticed that the book of Acts is also written by Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke. So Luke was volume one. Acts was volume two. Luke tells us what Jesus did. Acts tells us what Jesus wants to do through each one of us. So we took time to talk about how do you get ready for the work of the Holy Spirit, for that next big thing in your life. And then we took three weeks to really help us to understand what Scripture says to us about the Holy Spirit. Because oftentimes, it's easy for us to know about God the Father, because good or bad, everybody has a dad. And we, and we know kind of what it means to, to think about Jesus, the Son of God, because he came in flesh, and, and we're people, we can understand that. But the Spirit, we... We can't see. We can't fully maybe understand that. So we, we took three weeks to talk about what Paul and what John and what Luke says about the Holy Spirit. And then last week, powerful message, a very practical message on how we can pray from Pastor Bill, wasn't it? I mean, just so thankful for that good teaching last week. Today, we get to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, everything that we've talked about up to this point starts to come together. Because what you see in Acts chapter 2 is this powerful truth about how the Holy Spirit can be at work in our lives. Now, some of this will be things that we've already talked about, some of the things that we've, we've already heard, but all those things were groundwork to get us to this point today. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says it, and in Acts chapter 8, Peter and John say it, in Acts chapter 19, Paul says it, and they say this, we want you to experience what we've had more than any book or any movie or any music or any burger. There is an experience that you can have that if you've not had it yet, I'm telling you about it because I want you to experience it. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Here's, here's what Luke records for us. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. For many of us, that's, that's a familiar passage of scripture. If, if you've been involved or maybe even grew up in a, in a Pentecostal church or a church that, that, that teaches a lot about the Holy Spirit, then maybe you're familiar with these verses. I've, I've probably heard sermons on those verses 50 or more times in my life. Or maybe you've, you've read these verses and you, you understand them or you have questions about them. Here's, here's what we're going to do today. I just want to walk through them. I just want to go through what Luke writes for us here, what he records about what well, quite honestly, it's one of the most historic days in all of Scripture. It's one of the most historic days in, in all of the history of the church and the moves of God in the world. And I want to look at what he says to us here and why it's important for us to think this isn't just history. This can be our story. This can be an experience we can have. Let's, let's start with verse 1 and see what he says here. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came... 
they were all together in one place. So, so let's start here with that word Pentecost. What, what does he mean when he says the day of Pentecost? If you were to look at the, at the Jewish calendar, they would have certain holidays or, or feast days or festivals, kind of like we do. And there's, there's quite a few of them, but there were three main ones, kind of like we have you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter. They had Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Passover, Pentecost, and then Tabernacles. Passover is kind of the first one that, that we consider when we think of their, their three feast days in the Jewish calendar. And Passover commemorates when Moses led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt. If you remember the story that the angel of death went through the land, and unless you had marked your, uh, your doorframe with the blood from a sacrifice, then death came to the firstborn. Do you remember that story? But if you had marked yourself as belonging to God, then the death angel would pass over. And so that's the idea behind they would come back and they would commemorate and celebrate how the death angel pass over, pass overed, pass overed? Pass, passed over, passed over, went by those who were the people of God, right? So now you see fulfillment of that. That's, that's the story. Then you see a fulfillment of the prophecy attached to that when Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins. So you have Passover. It was fulfilled in Christ's death and his resurrection. The, the third um, festival that we talk about is, is often referred to as tabernacles. And this is one, without going into much detail, that, that they would remember the end of the harvest season and all that God had given to them. And so at the end of that, that second harvest that they would have in the, in the year of planting and agriculture there in the Middle East, they would have this second harvest season. And at the end of it, they would celebrate. With, sometimes you'll, you'll hear it called the Festival of Booths or the Festival of Tabernacles, and they would celebrate this. Now, the, the prophetic idea behind this one has not yet been fulfilled yet. It will be fulfilled when Jesus Christ returns. And we're looking forward to that day, right? So then there's this feast or this festival in between that's referred to as Pentecost. Sometimes you'll hear it referred to as the Feast of Weeks or the Festival of Ingathering, Weeks Ingathering, Pentecost. You'll hear this. Here's how it works. Beginning with Passover, that, that would kind of be seasonally the time when they would begin the, the agricultural season of their first kind of growing season. And so a lot of the, the, the farming would begin around the time of Pentecost. And the typical growing season would be about seven weeks. So you would have from Pentecost until, or from Passover, excuse me, until what we refer to as Pentecost, you would have about this seven-week period, which is why it's often referred to as the, the Feast of Weeks. And each week was kind of significant in that. And then at the end of those seven weeks, they would begin to have a harvest. And so they would bring the first fruits, the beginning of what God had blessed them with, to God offer it as a sacrifice and thank him for his faithfulness in blessing them with the crops. So they would have these seven weeks, so seven weeks, seven days a week. We know that seven times seven is, your fourth grade teachers are proud. You have made them proud. Seven times seven is 49. And so then on that next day, on the 50th day, is when they would bring their first fruits to God. The Greek word for 50 is Pentecost. So that's why we refer to this as the Feast of Pentecost. It's the 50th day after Passover when we bring the first fruits to God. Very significant day in the Jewish calendar. And there were other meanings that were attached to it by the rabbis and by different sects of the Jewish religion. But the bottom line was this. It was a day to say, God, what you have given to us, we give back to you. It was a fulfillment of his faithfulness and of his promises. This was a very significant day in the Jewish calendar. And for some reason, God said... When I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit, when I'm going to change the whole game, 
when I'm going to make it so that it's not just the spiritually elite who are used by the Spirit, but it's every believer who experiences the Spirit, when I do that, I'm going to do it on the day of Pentecost. He connected those things together because on the very day when they celebrated that God was beginning a harvest, when the very day that they celebrated that God was faithful to keep his promises, on the very day that they remembered the goodness of God, God said, and I'm going to do something new, something that he had promised to do for generations before. We'll we'll look at that when we get further in Acts chapter 2, but this is key for us to see because we use this word Pentecost in theological ways or religious ways. Calvary is what we would refer to as a Pentecostal church. And you'll see as we go through this, it it means that we believe that everything that God did in the New Testament, we believe he's still doing today, right? And in believing that, we see that this day of Pentecost is extremely significant, that God didn't just randomly pick a day. He didn't just kind of casually decide, well, I'll give him the gift when I feel like it. He said, I'm going to line this up in the Jewish calendar, in the calendar of history, so that they will know that I am doing something special. Here's what I want you to see in this. God has perfect timing and a perfect plan. Sometimes we wonder about that. Sometimes we think life is random. Sometimes we wonder why we're waiting. Sometimes we wonder why things go the way that they go. And in the midst of all of that, remind yourself that, it, that God is so detailed. He's so intricate. He knows the movement of everything he wants to do by his spirit. And when you watch this and see this, especially in the moments of confusion or disappointment in your life, rest on this truth that God has perfect timing and a perfect plan. I, I had two encounters this week where I interacted with people who told me how they were in one place and and just randomly they interacted with this other person. And as they interacted with this person, they saw these connections that could only be drawn together unless God had done it. And he encouraged them and he strengthened them. One person who was a place of incredible crisis and God brought someone alongside of them really just randomly and against odds. It just didn't make sense. But God put these two people together and as a result, God was able to bring healing. He was able to bring strength and he was able to reassure to that person. My friend who was in crisis, he reassured to them, you can trust me in the moments of your crisis because I know what's going on because I have a plan and my timing is perfect. Isn't that good to know? Here's the other thing you see in this idea of Pentecost, and we'll watch this as we go through this, and and this is where you have to start. The Holy Spirit has been given to believers. This is the whole idea. Everything that we've talked about, about how Paul says we live in the Spirit, and how John says the Spirit is like rivers of living water inside of us. He's our counselor, our comforter, our advocate. How Luke talks about the fact that he's come to give us purpose and power. All of this now is unleashed in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes to the believers See, up to this point, the empowering of the Holy Spirit was just for a select few. But now, now the whole game's been changed. We'll come back to that in a moment. Acts chapter one or 2, verse 1, says, On the day of Pentecost, when, and this is important, when they were all together. Now, you could read right past that and, and, and skip it, but it's pretty important that you see that there. It says, when they were all together in one place. You go through the different Bible translations, it'll use that phrase. It'll say they were all together in one place until you get to the King James, which says they were all together in a Honda. Have you ever seen that part? It says they were all in one accord. Did you see that? (laughs) Stupid, old, cheesy joke, and it works every single time. Every single time. This is significant. Luke chapter 24, verse 53, Luke says they were together. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says they were all together. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says they were all together. What is Luke trying to tell you? They were all together. They were unified. 
They were moving forward with the same mission, with the same purpose. This is key to understand. There is real power in unity. If you don't believe it, go to an elementary band concert. Have you ever been to one? You got 43 kids up there with recorders. Do you know what I'm talking about? 43 kids playing 64 different songs all at the same time. It's horrible. It's cute. It's painful. Take earplugs if you've never been. Because, because they're just not together. But let them get through junior high. Let them move on to high school. And you go to that orchestra concert, when instead of playing as 63 different instruments, they all play together as one. It's beautiful. Why? Because now they're playing with unity. Unity makes all the difference. The spirit can be active in a church that is unified. It's, it's interesting to talk about unity in a church setting and make a statement like the spirit can be active in a church that is unified. And I love being able to be in a place and speak this with confidence because I truly believe that one of the great gifts that God has given to us as a church is we are in a season where we, we know in a powerful way his unity. He's allowed us to move forward with unity, to be of the same mission, of the same heart. He has exciting things ahead for us, and we move into that as a church. So it's healthy for me to talk about unity today, not because there's disunity, but because if we don't see how important unity is, we might get blindsided by division. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay, I just want to make sure we're unified. Psalm 133 says this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. We've talked about this passage before, but it uses the image of God's favor. It uses the image of that oil going down on the priest's beard. Oil is a symbol of the anointing of the Holy Spirit's presence talks about blessing that comes, and that blessing that comes, they use, they use these agricultural and geographic terms that are there. Here's what you need to understand. When there's unity, there is favor, there is anointing, there is blessing. Where does favor, anointing, and blessing come from? It comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when we are unified, we allow the Spirit to be at work. But if you are in a place where you are divided or where there is disunity, you can literally Halt the flow, halt the work of the Holy Spirit in your life where there is a lack of unity. That's not just a church thing. Let that sink in for a moment. In your business, in your school, in your home, in your relationships, when there's division and disunity, it can literally put up a barrier to keep the Holy Spirit from being able to do the work that he wants to do. Does that make sense? So understand this, and this, this is key to this. Each individual is responsible for unity. Each individual, every person, is responsible for that unity. In the church, it's, it's not just the pastor and, and maybe a little bit on the deacons. Look, it's all of us. We all bear the responsibility for unity in those relationships in our lives. Look, go back to the analogy of a band. The band can be great, but if the drummer goes off on his own, what's going to happen? Not only is it going to sound crazy, but it's going to throw everybody else off. If the band's doing great, and all of a sudden the, the guitarist, they, they start playing the wrong chords. 
Man, it's, it's going to sound weird. It's going to clash. It's going to be weird. It's going to throw everybody else off. Unity is so important, and every one of us play a critical role in that. Look at how Paul says this, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Make every effort. That's a strong phrase, isn't it? Make every effort to keep the unity of, where does unity come from? The unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. That, that burden goes on each one of us to work towards unity. I'd, I'd say this is key in the places where you do what God's called you to do, whether that's work, school, home, wherever that is. When you move forward with unity in mind, there is nothing that makes a follower of Jesus Christ more attractive to those that don't know about him than to see people who are at peace and unified because it's different. It stands out. Much of the issues that I think we have in our homes, in our marriages, in our relationships with our kids, with our parents, with our families, comes because we are hesitant or we're resistant to take steps that only we can take to move forward in unity. Take every effort, Paul says, to move forward and maintain the spirit of unity. And this is, this is so key in the church. It's so significant. And from time to time, in fact, I've, I've had it happen to me several times lately, people will make this statement, both, both within Calvary and without a Calvary. They'll make this statement, they'll say, well, you know how it is in the church with gossip, and gossip just kind of happens in the church. And they say it with this sense of expectation, like it's just bound to happen. And when I hear that, I'll just be really honest, I'm getting on a soapbox here for just a minute, but when I hear that, it offends me a little bit. Because as Calvary's pastor, I've got to tell you, more than a lot of other churches that I've ever known, there's a healthy environment here where I don't sense a lot of gossip. Do you know why? Yeah, you know why? Because we got a group of people who say, I'm not going to risk unity for something that's not worth it. And this is a powerful thing. So when somebody says to me, well, you know, you know what it's like in the church. There's a lot of gossip. I, I want to go, well, that's, that's cool, but not in this church. And don't you start, buddy. <laughs> right? That's my response. It's like, because we, we're not going to do that. I don't want to be a part of that church. I want to be a part of a church that recognizes this truth. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 20. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. It's a good word, right? As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. Don't give place to a quarrelsome person. And if you are one, stop it. If you know one, help them to stop it. If you're becoming one, I hope someone will say to you, stop it. If it's me, tell me, stop it. I mean that. Because I don't, I don't want to see this happen in our church. But don't just take it to the church. It's, it's your life. It's your home. It's your workplace. Some of us, we, we're, just, we're just quarrelsome. And when we're quarrelsome, we destroy unity. And when we destroy unity, we keep the Holy Spirit from doing what he wants to do in our lives. Do you see the connection? There was this, there was this time... This is years ago. I hadn't been Calvary's pastor very long. This was down in our old building on Glendale. And I used to sit kind of right up front and center uh, in the front row. And I remember it was one Sunday we were, in the, we were in the middle of worship. And this dude comes in. And if you're here today, I apologize because I, don't, I, don't, I didn't know the guy. First time I'd ever seen him was when he came into church on that Sunday morning. Never seen him since. Came in, sat like next section over, two rows. He's right up front and center. And he had brought with him a tambourine. No one invited him to bring that tambourine. No one ever taught him how to play that tambourine. Can I just make that, can I just make that point? And bro brought a tambourine with him, right? So 
all of a sudden, I hear this noise. It's like, what is it? And I look over, and dude is just getting tambourining. He's just, he's got his tambourine on. And it, it was off. His tambourine that was on was off. Let's just say it that way, right? And then he starts, in the midst of this song, that no musician in their right mind ever said, boy, it sure would be nice to have a tambourine here. Nobody ever said that, right? Dude's just tambourining his heart out, okay? And so I just thought, this is, this is bad. Because not only was it bad, but it was distracting, like everybody that was around. And I'm, I'm the pastor, so I walk over, and I put my arm around the guy, and I just kind of put his little weapon down for a minute. And I said to him, um, I said, hey, man, I don't know you, and you, you don't know me, but you're going to stop that now <laughs> because it's a, it's a distraction to people. Now, if we want to talk later, you want to talk about how you can use your tambourine, or maybe I can help you get some lessons. I didn't say that, but I was thinking that. Um, I mean, that's cool. But this isn't the right time and place because what you're playing is distracting the people that are around you. I was watching the musicians on the platform. They couldn't hear each other. All they could hear was Tommy Tambourine, right? That was it. And in the midst of that, it had had this effect that it kept people from worshiping God because they were so distracted by the noise he was making. Does that make sense? Some of us, sometimes we open our mouths and we got this little tambourine hanging out and somebody needs to slap it out of your mouth. And you know that somebody is? It's you. <laughs> it's me. Because it will hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Luke's not being random when on occasion after occasion after occasion, he mentions they were all together. It is a powerful truth. Where there is unity, there the Holy Spirit can be at work. In what way? Watch what happens next. Look at verse 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 2. Suddenly... By the way, if you're a tambourine player, I apologize. I just, I felt that, uh, verse two. Suddenly, but don't play it. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Something interesting here. It doesn't say there was a wind. It says there was a sound like a mighty wind, a violent wind that came through. Why wind? Well, it's interesting. If you remember, go back to Genesis chapter one, verse two. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, which also has the meaning of wind or breath. In fact, if you look at the Greek word that's used for spirit in the New Testament, it's pneuma, which also has the meaning of wind or breath. So all throughout scripture, when scripture speaks about the spirit, it has this idea of wind. John chapter three, verse eight, Jesus uses this analogy. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So wind is used repeatedly in Scripture as a symbol for the Holy Spirit. And understand this. Wind symbolizes the active presence of the Holy Spirit. Wind symbolizes the active presence of the Holy Spirit. And this is important. Remember, we, we talked about this several weeks ago when we talked about the doldrums, how there's these places near the equator where ships cannot get wind to feel their sails to move forward. That's not just a physical place. I believe it's a spiritual place. And some of us know what it's like to be in a place where we feel like our wind is gone and our sails are empty. You ever been in a, in a stuffy room, in a room, a house that's all closed up, and the air gets stale and warm and sticky and it gets real heavy? What do you do in those moments? You go and open a window, and if it's the right day, you open that window. There's a, there's a breeze that comes in, and it feels awesome, doesn't it? If you're smart, you know don't just open one. Go to the other side of the house and open another one because then you might get the old cross breeze, right? And it brings this refreshment into your home. 
There's something about it that, that, that brings renewal, refreshing. It just feels good. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives where he can come and allow his presence, his active presence to be at work in our lives to fill our sails. And some of us desperately need the wind of the Spirit to blow in our lives. Your life is stuffy. You are desperate for fresh wind, for those rivers of living water we talked about. And this picture that God paints when he sends his Holy Spirit and there's this sound like a rushing mighty wind is to remind us that the Holy Spirit can come and breathe life into us. And some of you are sitting there saying, Chad, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You already mentioned this. Why are you mentioning it again? Because some of you are still desperate to experience it. And you need to open up the window of your soul. And in the moments of your life, in the places where you live and where you lead, it's time to open up your heart and say, Holy Spirit, would you come with a fresh wind into my life and give me the refreshing that I need? Far too many of us are spiritually self-sufficient. And when we are spiritually self-sufficient, our lives will eventually get stale and flat. And it's time for us in the moments of our lives to open up the window of our soul and invite the wind to blow through. And then he uses another picture. Watch this, kind of, kind of another sign. Acts chapter 2, verse 3. It says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. In the same way that wind is a, is a symbol of God's spirit throughout Scripture, so is fire. Fire is used as a sign of God's presence in Scripture. Do you remember what John the Baptist said when he talked about Jesus? He said, this is the one who will come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You see this throughout Scripture. Fire is sometimes used as a symbol of judgment. Fire sometimes used as a, as a symbol of purification. Fire sometimes used as a symbol of approval, of, of God's blessing and approval on someone. And if you think of that, the approval, the purification, the judgment, all of those, Scripture says, are a part of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so when we see fire in Scripture, especially in this passage, there's this idea of the Holy Spirit's presence and work. But there's also this idea that I think is key, and, and without going into the, the whole Jewish background of it, there was much about Pentecost that the Jewish believers at the time of Christ would have tied back to the book of Exodus, the work of Moses, time in the, in the wilderness and the giving of the law. They tied all of this together. And so think about fire in that context. Do you remember when God appeared to Moses? He appeared to Moses and spoke to him out of a, anybody remember? Out of a burning bush. There was a flame that was there. And then Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness. And while they were in the wilderness, they were led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. When God came and gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, it said that it looked as if the mountain was consumed with fire. So all throughout those passages of scripture, there is this connection of fire with when God comes and he gives people the guidance and the strength and the resource and the calling that they need to do what he's called them to do. See, fire symbolizes the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Fire symbolizes the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. I don't know your story, but I know the story of a friend of mine that caught me right after the first service. And, and she said, I needed to hear that today because I'm just about to start a new job and I need God's strength to do that. I don't know what you're just about to. You might not even know what you're just about to. But God has 
power available to you to help you in the season that you're in. And fire is a great analogy for it. I mean, if you think about it, we look for fire to know that something is working. Anybody ever looked for the, the pilot light on your furnace? Not this week, but you know what I'm talking about, right? If you go out to the 180th, you watch the, the jets take off at night, you will see the, the afterburn, the flame that comes out of there. Let me just give you an analogy that I hope all of us can relate to. Does anybody like to grill in the summer? Man, I love to cook outside. I go out there and cook. makes me feel like a man. I eat meat. It makes me feel like a man. It's awesome. Right? I feel like a man. You got that flame going on out there. You ever had this happen? You ever had one of these deals? I got a, I got a gas grill. Got the propane tank in it. This only ever happens if you have company. I'm out there and I'm cooking. You already know where I'm going with this, don't you? You're out there and you're cooking and all of a sudden you're like, this thing's cooking kind of slow. Wonder what's going on. And you wait far too long to realize you have no flame because you are out of, you're out of gas, right? Anybody had that happen? I keep an, empty, I keep an extra tank now. Don't come over because it's empty right now. But I keep an extra tank, right? Why? Because I want to make sure that I have the flame to be able to do what I'm trying to do. Great analogy for what God is trying to paint here in this picture. That those tongues of fire are a symbol of God's presence that comes to empower us, to strengthen us. Fire symbolizes the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, and that presence is there for you. He can do that work in your life. So recognize this, that if you are in a place in life where you have a just about to in front of you, and you're not sure how you're going to do it on your own, be open to the empowering, the infilling, the strengthening of the Holy Spirit, because that's what he came to do. So, so we, see these, uh, we see these signs in Acts chapter 2, these verses, we, we, we we heard the wind. We saw the fire. Here's, here's a third one. This, one. this one is interesting. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. It says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The last half of that sentence there has been the cause of an awful lot of theological question and disagreement and uh, quandary over the millennia. And depending on your background, you've heard different things about what, what does that mean to speak in other tongues, and is it something that's still happening today, and should Christians do it, or should Christians not do it, and how does all that work out? And just to be real honest, we don't have a whole lot of time to dig into that this morning. But on Wednesday night, we're, we're going we're gonna to take time and really talk about what the book of Acts shows us about this idea of speaking in other tongues. The next three Wednesday nights, we're going to have some special teaching, the 14th, 21st, 28th, in here at 7 o'clock talking in a little more detail and with a little bit more time about the things that we've looked at about the Holy Spirit. Two weeks, we're going to have a, a panel and do some question and answer about questions that have, have been raised about the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. On the, on the 28th, we're going to take time and talk about the spiritual gifts, what Paul says to us and how the spiritual gifts can be at work in our lives. This week, we're going to talk about and kind of answer the question, if, if you're desiring to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if it's something that you, you want to receive that baptism in the Holy Spirit, how do you go about doing that? And then what role does tongues play in all of this? And we're going to look at what Scripture says. Each one of these three weeks, we're going to take time to worship. We're going to take some time that will be kind of open-ended for us to be able to pray with each other and seek for what God wants to do in our lives. But here's what we see. We see that tongues are consistently seen in the book of Acts. Over and over again, you see this. And here's the pattern. The pattern of the book of Acts is that when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, they experience spirit-inspired speaking. And you can read through Acts and watch this for yourself. The pattern in the book of Acts is that when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, they experience spirit-inspired speaking. It's in Acts chapter 2. It's in Acts chapter 8. It's in Acts chapter 10. It's in Acts chapter 19. We see this repeatedly. 
that these things are connected. And as a Pentecostal church, we believe that what the Holy Spirit did in the New Testament, he is still doing in lives today. And we believe that tongues are a part of the experience of the believer for today. But there's an awful lot of misunderstanding and there's an awful lot of misuse when it comes to this. So the next couple weeks, Wednesday nights, we're going to take a look at what Scripture says about this, not what anybody else says, not maybe what you've heard somewhere else, what you've been taught. I think it's best if we just go back to the Bible. Is that cool? And see what Scripture says about this. Why is this so important? Because my fear is, to quote the Old Testament, that we would throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't don't think that's in the Old Testament, is it? I don't know where that is, but but you know what I mean, right? That we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Why is this so important? Here's... Here's why. Because what just happened in Acts chapter 2 that we just read, to you and I is just history. Biblical times, it was revolutionary. That there was something new that was happening. And understand this. Verse 1, it says that it happened to all of them. Verse 3, it says that it happened to each of them. Verse 4, it says that it happened to all of them. And why this was revolutionary is this wasn't just the males that were Jewish. That's what it had been up to this point, right? But now we're talking men and women. We're talking young and old. We're talking Jew and Gentile. And what you'll watch and see as you read Acts chapter 2 is that this is the launch of the missions movement around the world. It is for every nation. This is key. Don't miss this. See, the the Jewish rabbis would have said that only 36 people had ever really experienced the the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's what the, the Jewish literature would have said, 36. And now God says, how about all of them? How about everybody? This is a gift for everyone. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is for every believer. And you might say to yourself, am I going to experience this? Can I have this? Is the Holy Spirit able to be at work in my life? Because I'm not a pastor and I'm not super holy and I'm not crazy good looking or whatever your excuse is. And scripture says it's for every believer. After chapter 2 verse 39, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. That's you. You're included in that. If this room smells funny to you at all, it's because every night this week we had over 400 sweaty kids in here. <laughs> Summer blast. They would, they would go out and do whatever activities they were doing, and then they'd come in here. Pastor Lindsay and the Ignite team and her leaders would, would put on a service, and every night kids were introduced to truths about Jesus and, and, and making Jesus their Savior. I mean, it was just it was a really cool thing. And then at the end of the night, a couple of the leaders would come up, and they would draw some of the names out of a bucket or whatever, and they'd have these prizes, and they'd give the prizes away. One of the nights, I was, I was just kind of watching. I was way up there by the sound booth, and I was just kind of watching the whole thing happen. And they were up here, and they, they pulled a name out of the hat. Some, some boy, I can't even remember what the name was, but... They called the little guy's name, and I watched because right up there about three rows from the top, the little guy, like he heard his name, and he kind of stood up, and it was one of those moments where it's like, is that me? They called my name, and he was like, do I go down? Do I not go down? You could tell he was having this, you know, he didn't want to walk in front of 400 kids, you know, all this kind of thing, but, but eventually he starts making his way down to get his prize. The interesting part is there was a little boy who was sitting right down here who also came to get the prize. He had the same first name. So he'd heard the first name, didn't pay attention to the last name. So dude's coming from down here to get his prize while Happy Boy comes running around here. And, and the, the leader's like, your name? I don't know what it was. It's like, is your name Brandon? He's like, yeah, my name's Brandon. You know, he's like, well, here's your prize. He's like, I got a prize, right? Until dude rounds the corner here. And the two of them like cross right about here. And I watched one of the leaders. She looked down at him and, and looked at the other kid and said, what, what do you want? And he goes, my name is so-and-so. It was the name on the paper. 
And so now they had to take the prize away from, from happy boy. Oh, it's fine. He needs to learn to live with disappointment. They took the prize away from happy boy and gave it to the real winner. He's fine. He's fine. He's fine. However, what a heartbreaking experience. Right first name, wrong last name. Some of us think God works that way. That God offers us gifts and promises, and then when we go to get them, we'll find out they're not really for us. They're, they're for other people. Right first name, wrong last name. And God doesn't play that way. God doesn't do that. And you don't have to look at this and go, well, maybe I'm not spiritual enough, or maybe I'm not good enough, or maybe I've disqualified myself, or maybe I've, maybe I've. Read this again, all, each, and all. It's there. It's for you. This is a gift that he wants to give to every believer. You don't need to go through your life with stale air. You don't need to experience the challenges in front of you and wonder where the strength's going to come from. Look, that wind and fire is there for a reason. Because for the first time, and this is the only time you see this in Scripture, but in the first time that God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit, he goes to great lengths. He puts on a dramatic show so that you will know his power and his strength and his refreshing is there for you if you allow the Holy Spirit to be at work in your life. It's a powerful thing that we see at work here. And this opens up a principle that we're going to see in the book of Acts that the Bible promises that the believer can be filled with the Holy Spirit subsequent to salvation. And I don't want to minimize anything else maybe you've heard or been taught, or I don't want to minimize your, your salvation experience or what God has done in your life. But some of us think that once we're saved, that's it as far as this powerful encounter that we can have with God. And we see it here in Acts chapter 2 because these disciples were already disciples, weren't they? There's no act of repentance here. There's no step of faith here towards Christ. They're already believers, and this gift comes to them. And that's the same thing you see in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 19, that there are believers who experience this subsequent, that's a key word here, it's, it's in sequence after, this subsequent experience of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And, and I grew up in church hearing about this, and I thought that once I had this kind of powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit, then I could check it off and go to the next thing on my spiritual bucket list. But watch what happens. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Same people from Acts chapter 2. Look at what you read in Acts chapter 4. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They were filled with the Spirit again. This isn't a one-time thing. This is something that as we look to him, his refreshing and his empowerment can come to you repeatedly in your life. That's good, isn't it? Because I need it repeatedly. The believer is to, be, is to repeatedly experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It, it's not just this one and done. It's not a one-hit wonder. The believer is to repeatedly experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit in their life. Wind, fire, tongues, power. You're weirding me out just a little bit, Gilligan. For some of us, this, this is all a little bit of a stretch because we're comfortable with what we can see and understand. But when we, when we start talking about the spirit working in our lives in a bit of a different way, it, it can kind of make us a little uncomfortable, stretch us in a little bit. But let's go back to this. Would God ever want to do anything in your life that was bad or weird? Would he? No. Do no. no, you remember Luke chapter 11? It says that if you being a... a 
a father, even though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He has good gifts for you. So when you open up the window of your soul, when you ask for God to fill you with his power and with his strength, you're not opening up yourself to something weird or dangerous or scary. You're just saying, God, whatever good gifts you have for me, I want to receive them. And some of you are saying, Gilligan, you've been saying this for five weeks. Why do you keep talking about this? Because I don't want you to miss it. In fact, I want, you, I want you to have this for yourself. Understand this. I grew up in a church where when we read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we kind of closed the Bible like that was the pinnacle. Like you, you stopped right there. And as I'm reading through the book of Acts, I'm realizing that's not the destination. That's just packing for the journey. And what you're going to see is we go through the book of Acts and we watch. And I firmly believe that God is going to use these, these stories to do powerful things in our lives and in our church. As we get ready for this, you will see that everything they do in this book is because they do it through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And too many of you are going on a journey and you didn't pack for it. You're not ready for what God has ahead for you because we've been resistant to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And it's not just those that say, well, I've never had that encounter. I can speak for myself. The air can get pretty stale in my head too often. And I need to open up the window and say, Holy Spirit, would you work in my life? Would you flow through me? It's vacation season. Some of us have our vacations out in front of us, and we look forward to that. And at some point, some of us weeks in advance, others of us minutes in advance, we start to pack, right? some point, you're probably going to run and get some sunscreen. Word of wisdom, while you're there, grab some aloe. You're going to need it, right? Get the stuff that you need, and you pack it up, and you you throw it in the car or the van and you get ready to go and you just have that, that little feeling, I feel like I'm forgetting something. Anybody? Me, always. I know I'm forgetting something. I'm leaving something behind. And then you get where you're going and you start digging around and you start looking around and you realize, oh, I left the such and such on the counter or I forgot to bring. Anybody else ever had that experience? And you go, oh, I wish we'd brought that. Now, hopefully you're somewhere near Walmart or whatever, but odds are you, you, you're going to say, oh, I wish I had. And you're all on a journey. And I've just seen it in your lives. I don't want you to hit a place. I don't want you to get to a point where you just say, oh, I wish I wish I brought the Holy Spirit with me. Because on your own, you're just not going to be able to make it. But if you will open up yourself to that fresh wind, to that fresh fire, to the work that the Spirit wants to do in your life, it will make all the difference. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you to stand with me, if you would, please, whether you're here in Auditorium 1 or Auditorium 2, maybe if you're watching online somewhere. Pastor John's going to lead us in that song that we sang earlier, that, that song, Fullness. And it, it says when you get to the chorus, we're going to start with the verse because theologically it helps us to understand what we just talked about. And then we get to the chorus, we, we, we pray a prayer. We say, pour it out. Let your love flow over us. And my, my hope is this, that when we get to the chorus of this song, if you say, whether for the first time or again, if you say, Holy Spirit, I want you to pour out your spirit in my life. I'm going to challenge you, and this may be uncomfortable for some of us, but would you just lift your hands? When we get to that part, would you just say, God, I need your fresh wind. God, I need your fresh fire. Lord, would you pour out your spirit in my life, in my home, on my job, in my school, in the things that are ahead of me? God, would you pour yourself out in me? As we sing this song, would you make it your prayer? eternal promise. in your sons and daughters. 
places in your life where you need that fresh wind of the spirit maybe it's in your marriage your home places where you say Holy Spirit I need your strength Lord, my life has become stale and I need that fresh wind Holy Spirit I'm trying to do it on my own and I need that fresh fire from you Some of you, there's a, there's a desire in you for more from God. And know that what happens here today is not the end of anything. It's just the beginning. And that as, even as we walk through these, these services on Wednesday nights, that, that we would look at God's word and be open to what his spirit wants to do. But that it's more than just what happens in this room. That it's, it's when you're driving in your car or when you're sitting on your couch or when you're standing in your kitchen that you would say, Holy Spirit, need you in my life fill me with your spirit when when there's that that awkward moment on the job or that that incident in a relationship that you could say holy spirit i need you in this moment we would live and walk and be filled with the holy spirit at work in our lives not on our own strength not in our own wisdom but in his heavenly father we thank you for your word it speaks life to us God, may we go through this week knowing that we don't have to do it on our own, but that, Holy Spirit, you are you're our comfort, you're our advocate, you're right there with us. Would you empower us with fresh wind, with fresh fire, that we could be the people that are created by you to do what you called us to do. As we go from here, Father, we ask that you'd go with us, that you'd send us out with your special favor, with your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name.
Hey, thanks for being here today. I hope you will walk in the power of the Spirit. If you'd like for somebody to pray with you today, we've got friends in our Connection Center out in the atrium. If you have a need, something in your life, you'd like for someone to agree with you, stop by there. They'd love to pray with you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.